Hey, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. John 3. I'm going to go over a message just titling Born Again. John 3, and we'll start in, in verse 3. Want to read that scripture? And we'll pray. Praise the Lord. John 3, 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And let's pray. Father, I pray that you just open this very familiar verse. But Lord God, as we just meditate on it and think about it and talk about it and discuss your word. Holy Spirit, I pray you open the truth deep into people's hearts that we can see things in a clearer way than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good to see all your smiling faces here. Praise the Lord. Uh, I believe the spirit of the living God is going to speak through his truth today. Uh, amen. Let's just starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God was not with him. So let's just think on this man, Nicodemus, and get into a little bit about who he is and what he's doing. And uh, it, it says here, first of all, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So first of all, we know he's one of the Pharisees. And just to explain that a little deeper for some of you that are, are a little more new in this walk, you know, there was a, a ruling body um, at that time in Jerusalem. Of course, it was the nation of Israel which had come under the Roman rule. So really, Rome was ruling the nation at the time, but they had their own nation of Israel, the Jews, those from Father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, all through the Old Testament. They had built the temple on the mountain, just like God had told Moses to do. Uh, you know, I'm going to have a place and I want you to put my name there. Well, they had the tabernacle in the wilderness for those 40 years. Now they finally got to the promised land. And finally, to the point, they, uh, they conquered uh, Jerusalem. And they took over that temple mount. And they built a big temple. And it was the center of their religion. It was the center of Judaism. The temple, the temple mount there, all of the law of Moses. And, uh, and there, there they were. They were uh, he was a leader of the, of the Jews there, a leader of the Jewish ruling council. Now, the ruling council uh, comes from all the way back in the time of Moses when Moses was trying to deal with these million people. And uh, God said, you know, he, he got some, some wisdom from his father-in-law and said, look, choose you some elders. So they, he chose elders from each of the tribes and put them in charge of some of the things. And that was a, a, a ruling council. Well, they kept that tradition all the way through this time. And there was a ruling council in Jerusalem. It was kind of like the, uh, the Israel Supreme Court. 
since Jerusalem was the, the highest place of all of Israel, if uh, um, the, the temple was where they had to come from all over the world during the three feasts. So this big temple, this was the, the biggest uh, synagogue area. This was where the, the law was given. It was where uh, um, the, the highest of the, the high priests and all of the ruling council. So there were 70 members of this ruling council, and they called it back then the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, it's a Greek word. It means assembly or council. It's like the Supreme Court of Israel. There's 70 men and the high priest. Now, just like today, we have two political parties in our government. There was two parties then. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two ruling parties. Uh, the Pharisees, one group. Uh, uh, they were the more prominent ruling because they were closer to the people because they believed in the resurrection and the afterlife. The Sadducees had more wealthy uh, men of the government there that were involved. And actually, there was more of the Sadducees than there were the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, except... You know, the people sided along with the Pharisees more because they knew them from the local synagogues. They believed in the afterlife. I've heard a joke. I like to repeat it because it just makes sense. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in the afterlife or the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay? I mean, it's, it's sad not to, to believe you just die and you become part of the dirt. All right? So there was these two parties, and they were rulers over the nation of Israel, but they were under the rule of the Roman Empire. So they would make political deals with Pilate and Herod and others because they were kind of in charge of keeping the peace of the Israelites under the Roman rule. In other words, if, if uh, the Jews got stirred up and were trying to raise a rebellion to fight the Romans, Pilate would be in trouble by Caesar. So Pilate would go to the priests and go to these rulers and say, hey, we want you to control your people. You understand? So these, these religious leaders who were leaders of the nation of Israel well, were also political leaders, but they, they were under the influence of the Roman government. All right? So at this time, these leaders, they, they formed this group called the Sanhedrin, and there's 70 of them. And I want you to know that the Bible says in John 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, that is the Sanhedrin. He's one of the most important religious leaders, one of the 70 most important religious leaders of that day, Okay. So here he comes to Jesus at night. Now, so he's been hearing about this Jesus. He's seeing some of the signs. The Jewish ruling council is against Christ. So this man, Nicodemus, wants to slip to Christ and talk to him. He's curious about him. He's seen the signs and miracles. He says right there, I know that you can't do these things. We've seen the signs and it must be from God. And I'm very curious, but I'm also afraid of my ruling council because they have pretty much written you off, condemned you. Matter of fact, they've even said, if anybody starts believing that you are the Christ, the Messiah, we're going to kick them out of the synagogue. So Nicodemus is one of them, yet he comes to him at night. 
So he's one of the Pharisees, Pharisees of the political party against the Sadducees, but both were part of the Sanhedrin. Amen. Go with me now. We're just going to learn a little bit more about Nicodemus and what he was doing. Go with me to chapter 7. Flip a few pages. Chapter 7, verse 45. The Bible says, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? This was at the time when Jesus came to the Feast of Tabernacles and he pretty much interrupted their whole feast. Okay. And as they interrupted his feast, the Pharisees and the leaders of the sand, hey, why didn't you arrest him? Why didn't you bring him in? And they said, verse 46, no one ever spoke this way. As this man does, verse 47, so they got mad. They said, you mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? Now they're asking this question. Hey, look at us. We're your leaders. We're the leaders of the synagogue. We're the leaders of the temple. Have any of us believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law there is a curse on them. So they're saying, hey, we study the law more than anybody else. We're the most religious of all of Israel and Jerusalem. Look at us. Have any of us believed on him? No, it's just crazy mob that don't know anything. They're the ones that believe in him. So they're really putting him down and telling these guards, you should have arrested him. They said, hey, we couldn't touch him. And then the Bible says, verse 50, Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? So here, Nicodemus in front of the ruling council, he sticks up for Jesus and he quotes their own law to them saying, really, our law says we're supposed to give this man, you know, a a chance to come and speak for himself. So he's saying, look, we really can't just condemn him without bringing him in. So Nicodemus, who have gone to Jesus, who's curious about him, he sticks up for him here and says something there so that it won't condemn him. Well, they, they get mad. Look at verse 52. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Okay, so they're, they're questioning there, Nicodemus, they're upset with him. Go with me now to John chapter 19. Let's see if we can find another part of the story where Nicodemus comes. John chapter 19, look at verse 38. Now, we just celebrated the resurrection, Easter Sunday last week. Getting into the story here a little bit deeper of the burial of Jesus. 19 verse 38. Later... Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. So here's another man, and we're going to learn a little something about him in just a minute. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39, he was accompanied by who? Nicodemus. So here Nicodemus a Pharisee and a member of the 70 ruling council like the Supreme Court of Israel 
who was against Christ and not believing that he was the Messiah. Nicodemus, one of these, goes to Jesus by night. But now, the things Jesus said and did, he's contemplating, he's thinking about that. Now he knows they crucified him unjustly. And he ends up going to the tomb, going to the body with Joseph of Arimathea. The Bible says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. I looked that up in the Greek, 100 latrera, which is about 34 kilograms, which is exactly what they said, about 70 pounds, 75 pounds. That's a lot of myrrh and aloes, expensive different spices that this man, who was a leader of the Jews, was so moved by what he saw in Jesus and so uh, grieved that what they did to him, crucifying on the cross, and that it wasn't right, that he used his own money, purchased these spices and things. It was a tradition of them of how they prepared the body to go with Joseph of Arimathea to get the body off the cross. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was accordance to Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb, which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So it was, it was Friday, Good Friday, he was crucified and died. But Friday night, it starts the Passover. So they could do no more work. So they had to hurriedly get the body and take it to the grave. And then they had to leave. That's why the Bible says on the third day, the women were going. They were going to prepare the body some more with more spices. Maybe they didn't approve of the way the fellows did it. The Bible says some of the women were there and they were watching. Well, they got up early Sunday morning after the Passover. They couldn't go before because it was the Passover and they weren't allowed to do any work. So on the third day, as soon as it was daylight, some of those women were going to the tomb, bringing spices and stuff to get the body ready. Let me explain a little bit something about this burial. You see, there's a tomb cut out of the rock. And they would cut these tombs, and I've been to Jerusalem, I've seen uh, this place, I've seen this mountainside, we saw Golgotha, you could see it where Jesus was crucified. We could, I walked into this, this very tomb they're talking about, I walked into it, I saw it, I was there, praise the Lord. And what they would do, they would cut these tombs in the rock, and they would put the dead bodies there, they would wrap it with a lot of spices and perfumes, because you know a body decaying begins to smell. Well, they would wrap it in such a way that uh, over time the, the, the body would decay, but the bones would, would still be there. And what they would do a year or two later, they would go back and they would get the bones and they would put the bones in a box called an ossuary. And then this small box that would just house the bones, they were able to put that box in a tomb and have many boxes. That way they were saving room around the mountain sign for the burial of all the people around Israel and Jerusalem. You understand? So they would put the bones in a box. So it was like a secondary burial. They had the first burial where they would lay the body in a tomb wrapped in the linens and covered with a lot of perfume and spices so over time it wouldn't be so smelly when they go back in there to get the bones. Understand? 
Then they'd go get the bones and put the bones in an ossuary. And in one tomb, one cut out rock, one hole, there could be many of these boxes stored and sealed. That way, they were saving room all around the mountainside for all the people that needed to be buried. Amen? So that's what was going on here. They were covering, they would wrap them in strips of linen with all this perfume and spices. So here we see these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and this man Nicodemus, who we already know about Nicodemus, that he's one of the Sanhedrin, one of the ruling council. Now flip with me to Mark 15 and let's find out a little bit more about this man, Joseph. Matthew, Mark. Luke and John, Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Mark 15. As we study the word, whether you're studying the resurrection, the burial, Nicodemus, I like to follow it from one place to the other because if you look at all four gospels, you can get the whole picture. Okay? We heard the name Joseph of Arimathea, but he didn't really tell us who he was. Now we go to another place and we can see it a little bit deeper, church. Mark 15, verse 42. It was preparation day. That is, the day before the Sabbath. So evening approached. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council. There we go. We see that this man, Joseph, from this town of Arimathea, which is in Judea, was also a member of the council. Church, I'm telling you that these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, were both members of the most religious, powerful council in, at the temple, the high court, the supreme court of all of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were leaders of the religion of Judaism, and both of them were looking into the Messiah. I want to say, praise the Lord, that, you know, we, we know that they shouted, crucify him. We know they turned him over to Pilate. But I'm telling you here, we also know from this word that some of their own members were moved by him. So praise the Lord. The word says, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He was a prominent member of the council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. The Jews knew all through the Old Testament that the kingdom of God was preached, that the kingdom was coming, that the Messiah was coming to establish the kingdom. Praise the Lord. We see, you know, the kingdom, uh, Jesus' second return, there's going to be a physical kingdom come to earth. And that's what they were looking for. All the Jews were waiting for the Messiah, knowing that the kingdom of God was coming to earth and the Messiah was going to rule and reign and they were going to be God's chosen people on this earth. They were looking. So this man, through the searching the Old Testament, was also waiting on the kingdom of God. He just didn't understand how it was going to come. And he's about to see. Amen. Because he starts to hear and be curious about Jesus. He's drawn to him and he comes to become a disciple of Jesus, even though he's a member of the Sanhedrin. <coughs> Himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. You know, it doesn't say that in any of the other gospels. It says he went to Pilate 
Mark brings it out a little stronger. This man was pretty confident. He was a wealthy man. He was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. He was a political leader. He had talked to Pilate many times before about a lot of things. And he was, he was confident enough to, he went boldly to Pilate and say, look, I want to get the body of Jesus. Well, Pilate was moved by these guys going to him because Pilate said yes. He was the king of the area over Rome. He didn't have to, but somehow this man, praise the Lord, went boldly to him and Pilate was uh, the Bible says he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where it was lain. Now, praise the Lord. There's still another couple of things that Mark doesn't bring out that another gospel will. Let's flip now over to Luke and look at his account. Luke chapter 23. Praise the Lord. Y'all with me? Flip, flip with me there so you can see it yourself. Luke 23, verse 50. Praise the Lord. Now, there was a man named Joseph, this same Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the council, good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. There we go. We learn about something else about him right now. They had agreed to conspire to have Jesus crucified, to turn him over to Pilate, to have a false trial, and this man Joseph stood against it. So there were some dissenters in that trial, in that court of the Sanhedrin, uh, charging Jesus with blasphemy, and he did not give his approval to it. He didn't believe that. Okay, He did not consent to their decision and action. He came from Judea town of Arimathea and was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock, one in which no one had been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. I told you, they didn't like the way the fellows did it. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandments. One more verse. Let's look at, we've looked at it in uh, Luke, John, Mark. Let's look at it in Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 57. Matthew 27, 57. As evening approached... There came a rich man from Arimathea. Now it gives us a little more. Now we know he's a rich man named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Here's where it says real plain. This Joseph had become a disciple. He was a rich man. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it. Now watch this. We learned something else here, verse 60. Are you ready? 
and placed it in his own new tomb. Now we know that this Joseph of Arimathea, he had purchased that tomb. It was his tomb. And yet he was so moved by this man, Jesus, falsely accused. He had become his disciple. And he decided, I'm going to get the body I'm going to honor him by burying him right. I'm going to wrap him in the cloths according to Jewish tradition. And I'm going to place him in a tomb. And we don't have one for him. So I'm going to place him in my own tomb. Amen. So now we know a little bit more about the mindset of this Joseph of Arimathea. But we also know a little more about the mindset of this Nicodemus who went with him to get the body and prepare it and take it to the tomb. So it wasn't just Joseph. It was Joseph and this same Nicodemus from John chapter 3, verse 3. So Nicodemus, who was intrigued by all he heard about this Christ. Could he be the Messiah? What's going on? All of my friends, my closest friends in the Jewish ruling council, they don't believe him and they want him crucified. But something in my heart tells me I want to know more about him. So this, this Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and wanted to question him and ask him. He was interested in learning more. Amen. There's something about... When God begins to prick your heart and you say, you know, I haven't really been religious in my life. I haven't been much of a churchgoer, but you know what? And living my life and seeing what's doing, it's time for me to find out. It's time that I'm drawn. I want to know more about this Jesus. Is he really the Messiah or not? I need to seek. I need to go to him. I need to look into his word. I need to ask him some questions and let him answer. I need to find out for myself. And he was willing to risk his reputation he was willing to risk his friends. He was willing to deny them and go to Jesus and find out. Amen. And something happened there. It doesn't ever say that Nicodemus became a disciple like it does about Joseph of Arimathea. But praise the Lord. I believe the evidence is there that this man, Nicodemus, went with Joseph and took the body and helped prepare it for burial. Amen. Let's see what else. Praise God as we're following this. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew 27, again, verse 60. And placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. When it said he had cut out of the rock... I don't think he did the cutting. When sometimes you have a leader to get things done, it doesn't mean they did it themselves. Amen? You guys are leaders and things and you know how to delegate? Well, this rich man knew how to delegate. He had it cut. I doubt he did the cutting. Amen? He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance. I doubt he did that too. He had it done. Praise the Lord. But praise God. doesn't mean he is actually. But he had it. He made it happen. Praise God. So these are two members of the Sanhedrin. Praise God. Now let's look at John. Go back with me to the story we're reading our text. John, and let's go to John chapter 9. John 9. In the beginning of John 9, we know that Jesus heals a man born blind. This man from birth was blind and was grown now. And everybody around him knew that he had been born blind. Now the Bible says in verse 13, 
the Pharisees investigate the healing. Instead of rejoicing that a blind man sees, they're investigating the healing because they heard that it was this Jesus who did it. And they don't like that because people are following this Jesus because of the signs that he's doing. So they go to investigate to find out something wrong with it. It's like folks who go to church looking for something wrong instead of looking for something right. You know, there are people like that. Anyway, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And the man says, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and now I see. He just answered them point blank. Amen? Go with me. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. I circle that in my Bible because I want you to know that. They were divided because of Jesus. Now here's the leaders of the Pharisees again questioning this blind man and some were mad that the guy who healed him healed him on the sabbath and others were saying well how can he be you know wrong if he healed the blind man so there was a controversy there and they were divided and this Nicodemus and this Joseph of Arimathea are on this council and they're hearing this debate okay just like many of you, you hear the debate, which religion is true? It, should we follow Jesus? Should we follow this one? Or don't, don't all roads lead to heaven? You know, if I cannot, can the higher power be my doorknob? You know, whatever. There's all these different uh, sayings around the world today. And for, you have to be confronted with truth and deal with it and come to a conclusion about it. But even the, the rulers of the re most religious people of the day... We're divided over this, okay? Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. He must be a man of God, a prophet, speaking the word of God. The Jews still not believe, verse 18, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now they got the parents coming in. Is this your son? Is he the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Now watch that, how they answered, okay? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now watch what it says in verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided, here we go, here's where I'm going with this church. Here's why I'm reading all these verses and showing you. I want to show you something about this Jewish ruling council. For all the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Are you with me? You see that? Anyone the Jews had decided. Well, who decided for the whole Jewish nation? The Sanhedrin. 
the ruling council. It was them that made a decision like this. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus is on this ruling council, and the ruling council had come together in an agreement and decided if anyone follows this Jesus and believes or says that he's the Christ, Greek, the Messiah, Hebrew, it means the anointed one, the king that's coming, the one that's coming to be the savior of the world, our one that's going to you know, make Israel a great na nation again, our one that's going to set up the kingdom of God on earth. If anyone believes that he's the one, we're kicking them out of the synagogue. Now guys, for a Jewish family, the tradition and the expectation to be a part of your local synagogue and to be an upstanding member of your society, you had to be a member of the synagogue and you had to obey the law and you had to keep the Sabbath regularly and you had to go to the synagogue with your family. And now they're saying, man, if, uh, if we, man, th this guy's eyes were, and these are the parents of the one who was born blind and his eyes were healed. And they're saying, look, uh, out of fear of the Jews, they said, well, don't ask us, ask him, he's of age. They're afraid to be kicked out of, hey, more than rejoicing over their son's healing, they're afraid to be kicked out of their religion. You hear me? So, they said, well, ask him, he's of age. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Now watch how he replies. He's kind of got a little smart attitude now. I mean, you know, he was blind all his life and now he can see. He's excited about that. And he don't care who these, who these folks are questioning him. He's just excited that he can see. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> now he's taunting them. He's in front of the Jewish council. They made a decision that if you believe in Jesus, we're kicking you out of the synagogue, virtually destroying your life in Israel, you know. They're saying, hey, and so he's, but he's saying, look, I was blind, now I see. Y'all calling him a sinner. Hey, whether or not, I, all I know is I was blind and now I see. Now you want me to explain it again? Are you wanting to become his disciple? He's taunting the council. How about that? I like that guy. I'm going to meet him, sit down, talk with him for a few <laughs> years in glory. Amen. I have told you, do you then, verse 28, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Wow. Now watch what the man, how he answers them now. Okay. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he can do nothing. Now he's getting a little bolder in his answer in front of them all, isn't he? Amen? 
To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So now it's not lining up. This guy's, this guy's healed. It's not lining up with their philosophy, their thought. So they, they, they curse him, insult him, throw him out. Bible says here, just to wrap up this part of the story, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found them, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus didn't find him and say, well, I'm going to go give those guys a piece of my mind. He didn't say, what did they say? Did they say that? I'm going. And he didn't march straight up to the temple to, uh, to jump on those guys. He didn't worry about that. He just loved the man that he had healed. Look what he did. Praise the Lord. By the way, church, praise the Lord. Sometimes folks speak out against this message of grace or this truth or this church on Facebook with questions. Let me, let me ask you to do something for me. Don't answer them. Just keep loving the sinner, reaching out to the lost. Folks questioning all this grace we give on news and they got railing accusations. Don't even answer it for my sake and the Lord's sake. I'm asking you to do that for us as a church. Don't answer them. Just keep loving people. Amen. Jesus didn't go back to the temple and start blasting him. So he came, so he found him. When, watch this, Jesus heard that they threw him out of the church of the day. And when he found him, Jesus went looking for him. That's something. Got kicked out of the church. Jesus went looking for him. Hallelujah. And he asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man said, who is he, sir? Tell me that I might believe. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. Right then and there, he was born again. I'm going back to that thought of Nicodemus going to Jesus. Right then and there, he believed in Christ and he was born again. Hallelujah. One more verse before we go back to John 3. Go to John chapter 12, verse 37. John 12, 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they, many, still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes or understand with their hearts or turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Some don't have a heart to want to see, to want to understand, to want to know God. They just want to criticize. They just want to you know, stay steeped in their own traditions. They don't want to see. And because they don't want to, they don't. Their eyes aren't open. But the Bible says this in verse 42. I want you to catch it. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. 
But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise from men more than the praise from God. So here, the Bible says many, even among the leaders, were beginning to believe in him, but they wouldn't say it out loud or they wouldn't go to him during the day with the crowd because they were fear of the Jews being kicked out of the synagogue, fear of their reputation, fear of their family's tradition, fear of people, putting others ahead of Christ. Okay? Now, go back with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. As we know, a man named Nicodemus, Pharisee, member of the ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're our teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared. Now, Jesus doesn't beat around the bush and get into a long conversation with this guy. He tells him the truth on the next line. I like that. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Everybody say, born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus says he doesn't understand how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born. And surely grown man, a leader, educated man, is a sag as a Pharisee in the ruling temple. He knows that. He's just asking this question to, to get Jesus to explain a little bit deeper. How can this be born again? What are you talking about? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. I tell you the truth. This word, I tell you the truth, in John chapter 3, it's three times. We see it, uh, we, we see it I tell you the truth in verse 3. We see it in verse 5. We see it in verse 11. In the King James, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Amen and amen. Yes, and I agree. Verily, verily, this is the truth. I tell you the truth, most assuredly. He's saying that. He's saying, look, I tell you, not the rabbis from your synagogue, not the local tradition of how they interpret the book of Moses, but I'm here as King of kings, Lord of lords. I'm here, and verily, I tell you, this is the way it is. Amen. He is the author of salvation. He understands what it is to be born again. He is from God, and he has the authority to say, Verily, verily, most assuredly, I tell you the truth. Verse 3, verse 5, and verse 11. I tell you the truth. You can count on this. I am the truth. Amen? And he's saying this is a radical statement. Verily, verily, most assuredly, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again, born of water and of the Spirit. There have been many different interpretations of that, but I like the way the Bible interprets it next. It says in verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, born of the water. Spirit gives birth to spirit, born again. Hello? When you're physically born, your flesh, woman's flesh gives birth to you, the water breaks and out you come. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's one way to be born a human being in this physical world. But then it says spirit gives birth to spirit. 
Some interpret it as it's talking about baptism. Yes, there's repentance. We go under the water. And, you know, but he's not saying you must be water baptized to be born again because you're born again when you believe and we follow that up with water baptism, expressing what's already happened spiritually. Amen? So flesh gives birth to flesh. Now, guys, I want to make a, a point here as, as we're getting ready to close here. I want to make a point with this. The whole message today about Nicodemus going to Jesus and Jesus saying you must be born again. We all know that verse. We all know that phrase, born again. But I want to unroll it for you. I want to, I want to lay it out for you. I want the Spirit to speak to you today. I want you to meditate on that word, born again, and hear what the Lord has to say to you today. You were born of flesh as a natural man, as I preach all the time, born of Adam. But when you believed, praise the Lord, as Joseph of Arimathea, as some of the ruling council, many of the people today, when you heard the news that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's come to save you, that he's come to die on the cross for you, as you, paying your debt, that you might be saved from your sin. The Bible says when you believe that, you are born again. I looked that up in the Greek. It actually, it means born again. Another way to say it, that word again is born from above born from God. John chapter 1, he lays it out in the very beginning. Uh, he came to his own, but his own believed him not. To as many of those who believed in him, he gave them the power to be born from above. Born not from the flesh, not from a human decision, not from a natural father. But when you believe this truth of the gospel, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the savior, that you need him. When you believe that, the Bible says you are born from above, born again. Now guys, I want to elaborate on it, that you are born a new species of people a different type of person. You were born of the flesh, a natural man. And we always say, there's a phrase out there, cliche, oh, we're all human. Man, I want to tell you something. If you're born again, you're more than human. Yeah. Let that sink in a moment. You were born just a human, but now you've been born again. The Bible says from above. The Bible says you are a new creature or a new creation. You were just a human with the fallen nature of sin inside of you. But because you believe in Jesus and you knew and know he needs to wash your sin because you can't get it right. The law couldn't cleanse you because of that. And you believe you are born again from above and you now have the nature of God. The spirit of God has joined your spirit. You have been recreated, made new. It's not a reformation of your old self. It's a regeneration. The theologians call it, regenerated, made new, brand new, a new person, a different person. You might look the same, you might have the same thoughts in your mind, but your spirit has been recreated, made new, and you're born from above. You've entered the kingdom. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. But on the contrast to that, if you're born again, you have entered the kingdom of God and you have the 
nature of your Father God, which is divine, living inside of you. And to think of yourself as still a sinner with a sin nature inside of you is unscriptural. You are not spiritually schizophrenic. You are not two people battling inside yourself to see which one will win in the end. You are not walking around with the flesh nature and the devil sitting on one shoulder whispering to you and an angel sit on the other and you're always in a constant battle waiting and warring against yourself. The flesh nature inside of you from Adam which is a sinner and now your belief in Christ on the other side and you're battling each other and you're fighting this fight until the day you die and if you win the fight you might make it to heaven. That's not the way it is although that's what most people think. Let me clarify it for you. If you are in Christ, your old nature has died and is buried. And you've been given a new nature from the Spirit of God, which is holy and righteous. I want you to meditate on this word today, tonight, the next few days, and think about, I'm born again. I've given my life to Christ. I'm with God. He's in me. The Bible says, let's go, go with me quickly to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. The key to having victory on living it is to first believe it, but also to grow in the knowledge of it. Verse 5, Romans 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the na that nature desires. But those who live in accordance to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Watch this, verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Now I read that. And in most churches, or some pastors say that, you think, I'm talking, well, you know, he's talking about my sinful nature and my struggle in this, and I'm struggling, please God, oh Lord, forgive me, help me to please you more, help me to do this. But look, you got to read the next line. The next line says, you, however, everybody say, now he's talking about me, are controlled not by the sinful nature. You, however, those of you who have been born again, your sinful nature is not inside of you anymore. It's dead and buried, and that's not who you are. If you're fighting the sinful nature... You're missing the victory because uh, you're, you're missing, you're, you're under a spell of a lie and you're struggling with it and this truth is going to set you free right now. Yes. Romans 8. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you, now watch this, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ he does not belong to Christ. When you're born again, 
the Spirit of God. You're, you're recreated. He told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it will, and you, know, you, don't, you can't see the wind. So look, it's hard to understand this with your natural mind, but believe by your spirit. When you're born again, praise God, that super, the Holy Spirit makes you new, put his spirit inside of you, and God couldn't live in you if you haven't been cleansed. So if the spirit of God is in you, you can know that you don't have a sinful nature living inside of you anymore because it can't live there because the Holy Ghost has moved in. But Pastor Dave, as I'm closing... Where's all this struggle come from? I still sinned. I still missed the mark. I still, we still battle. We still have things. Where's this struggle? The trouble comes from you are a spirit. You still have a soul and you still live in a body. But guess what? Because God is in you, your body is now holy. Your mind is being renewed by the truth. Okay? You don't automatically look differently and automatically every habit change. Your spirit is brand new. And as you renew your mind to this truth of who you are, it gets better and better as our mind is renewed by the word of Christ. But you're not two people living inside that body. You're not a flesh nature sinner and a Christian holy. It's not so. You're one person, you were the sinner, and now you're born again from above, a new species, you're from God. Jesus is the first of many brethren. He died and rose again that you could be like him and receive his righteousness. Church, I'm telling you, that's who you really are. That's who you really are. So just the simple word, born again, which you learn about in kindergarten Sunday school. But now just got to meditate on a little more and think of yourself. I've been, I was this, but now I'm born again. And the word says, I'm born from above. Church, don't go to your prayer life and start confessing all your sins again. That's an insult to Christ. I would want my daughter, Rachel, when she wants to come talk to me, first come kneel down and start saying, Daddy, I did this wrong and I did that wrong and I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that and go through 10 minutes of all the problems she's had in her life before she can say, Daddy, how are you? I love you. God doesn't want you to do that either. He wants you to come boldly before the throne of grace knowing You've been born into his family. And, it's a, and my daughter, she comes if she struggles with something. She's not on pins and needles saying, well, I wonder if this is the day mom and dad are going to kick me out of the house. <laughs> well, you know, I forgot to put the, mil the cap on the milk today or I drank out of the jug. I wonder if this is the day I'm, I'm, I'm gone. Do I still have this bed? Do I still have their blessing? Are they still in their household? Come on, pins and needles. Oh God, I know, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I'm struggling with this, 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 this. And you go on through a litany after Jesus Christ has died. His blood has cleansed you once and for all. He wants you to enter his courts like this. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with praise. The truth sets your minds free 
and to know who you are in Him. God loves you, church. He loves you. You're His precious child. If there's some in here that only have a mental note of Christ and have never truly been born again, believe in this word right now. Believe in Christ. You'd be born again right now where you're sitting.